Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. Hey, Knob Twiddlers. I'm thrilled to share that season three of the Girls Twiddling Knobs podcast is sponsored by the lovely folks at Isotope. Now, Isotope design award-winning audio plugins, and I'm actually using some of the fabulous tools inside their RX9 software to get my voice sounding crystal clear inside today's episode. And when you use the code GIRLSPOD10, you'll get 10% off any plugin purchase on their site, excluding subscriptions and a whole free month of their amazing Music Production Suite Pro instead of the standard seven-day trial. Just go to isotope.com forward slash girlspod to find out more. It's a lot of pressure for somebody coming in and sort of maybe having to champion all of these causes or this cause. And so it's, I think it's really important for it not to be all of the pressure placed on that one person. And yes, there was this amazing initiative to get people on board. And you can see this all across now, you know, People of colour in the tech world, hopefully, are a lot busier now than they were a few years ago. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Well, hello, Knob Twiddlers, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of your favourite feminist music tech podcast, Girls Twiddling Knobs. And this week is, in fact, the penultimate episode before season three is all wrapped up. Time has flown by, but don't despair because it's not over yet. Today, I'm chatting with the fabulous musician, producer, researcher and educator Mel Uye Parker. Now, I first heard about Mel because she was appointed programme leader for ICMP's Creative Music Production MA, which I had a small hand in creating a couple of years back. The more I found out about her career so far, the more I wanted to get her on the podcast. And not just because she's collaborated with some amazing artists like Matthew Herbert, or that she's been writing and releasing music for years. Mel has also a wealth of experience teaching music production as a professor at Guildhall School of Music alongside her role at ICMP. And inside today's episode, she shares how after dropping out of studying drama and visual art, she started picking up multi-track recorders. This eventually led her to recording vocal top lines in studios, writing songs for herself and other artists, and studying recording and composition. Now she's about to release a brand new record under her artist project, Omote, which at the time this episode was recorded wasn't yet out. Mel's description of the release, however, has got me counting down the days and I can't wait for you to learn all about it. Okay, I'll keep you in suspense no longer, dear listener. Let's meet Mel. Welcome, Mel, to Girls Twiddling Knobs. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. And I'm excited to get into um, lots of different topics today with you. But first, could you just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us the kind of music that you make? Yeah, so I'm Melie Parker. I am a singer and electronic music producer. Uh, so I've I've made a range of music over the years. I started off as a singer-songwriter, so that had limitations. I was it was me and a guitar and often a band around me. And then I started doing a lot of sort of features and I'd sort of top line on some things. So then I was um, without instruments and it was just me and my voice. And then I began began to produce. So I started to learn or, you know, find my way around a door and then started to make more sort of dance-oriented music. So I've got a couple of geysers, a couple of aliases. One is more sort of dance floor, you know, type music. And the other is um, my my vocal music, which has now become um, more kind of electronica, kind of like a wonky, trip-hoppy, experimental affair. Mm. And do those different geysers go under different names or is it still under your name? Yeah, so I have. I also do a little bit of featuring still. That that's something that's come that started back up again. But so Melie Parker would be where when I feature Majiri, which is my middle name, with all the vowels taken out to be cool, is that's <laughs> the more sort of dance floor intended stuff. And then the project that's a bit more maybe a fusion of these things that is me on vocals and it's a little bit more down tempo. An experimental, that's Amate, which also comes somehow from my name. It means girl in the dialect that my dad speaks, Isoko. And so yeah, so yeah, there's three there's three sort of monikers that, that I produce and perform under. How does it feel having those three different identities? Because I know that some people really worry about, you know, like being too many things and then other people feel far too trapped being one. How does it feel for you? It's something that's come about recently where I've had these specific identities and these very sort of distinct identities. And I think for me, it's it relieves any confusion and, you know, that there's no pressure on 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 me as a as a musician and me as an artist, and so if I need to scratch the itch of, of like because I always I always will I you know I'll go to a, a club night I'll become really inspired and then I'll come home and make a track, and I can always do that and I don't have to sort of sort of depend on anyone to to even like it really I can just express myself in this sort of little domain, and so I, yeah I found it. I found it really beneficial to how I feel about myself as an artist. And yeah, and as I mentioned, it, it clears any confusion for me. Mm, yeah, I think that makes so much sense because when everything's under your name, like you say, it, it can feel very exposing, you know, and I think that it's harder to play an experiment and make, mm. well, potentially make some mistakes, but just do, you know, do stuff that you don't know how it's going to land because it's your name and everyone's going to attach it to you as an individual, as a person. And then I think it's so easy then as an artist to start attaching the outward success of that to your individual worth as a human, Mm -hmm. which of course is a slippery slope and the two are not the same thing, you know, but when it's your name, it's so easy for that to to happen. Yeah. And I think it takes a while to realise that, you know, I, it, for for me, my value was was definitely attached to like did people like my music and and yeah. and actually on one hand I was you know flattered and like overjoyed when when I'd get like some good good feedback but then I it, it also suffocated me because I you know or paralyzed me because I I wouldn't release because in fear of making a mistake and 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 not having sort of this picture of perfection that I wanted I wanted the world to 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 have of me and and so it yeah it definitely sort of it 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 stumped me for many years because I was uh, yeah I was really scared to to make mistakes because of that because of that sort of value being tied into you know my artistry and, and also myself Mm, yeah, I, I I can really relate to that, and I think a lot of other people will listening too. And you know, you like you say at the beginning, especially, it's such a wonderful feeling to kind of 
show up in the world and for people to hear that and say, oh, that's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. of course, that's a, a wonderful feeling. And I think especially as a teenager, for example, or a young adult, that's incredibly affirming. But then it's so easy to then need to perpetuate that because that kind of becomes normal or that becomes the the base level that you've always got to to come back to. Mm-hmm. And then that's just constant pressure, constant, constant hustle, because mm. it's never, whatever you achieve, it's never going to last longer than, if you're lucky, a few weeks of feeling, oh yeah, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here, you know? Yeah. And I often just wish, like, I just wish that I could do something <laughs> where I'd never have to hustle ever again to feel that sense of I'm okay, I'm enough. But that's never going to happen. You know, there's nothing any of us can do that's ever going to, no external thing that we can do that's ever going to get us there. Yeah, I I find something that's really helped and just sort of like going off piece a little bit. You know, anyone that knows me knows that it takes like 10 minutes for me to start talking about Tai Chi. Um, But it's something... (laughs) something. How Seven minutes, we've done all right, haven't we? Yeah, Um, yeah. But it's something that... um, I do. And part of, and part of the practice is, you know, it's about creativity and the fact that everybody has this like innate creativity that is just for ourselves. Right. So, Mm. and that actually, actually having these discussions and we have, we have these exercises where we make these little one minute videos on certain themes and everyone's doing it. People that are dentists and people that like have like no sort of creative outlet and people are doing really amazing work and we're just, we're talking about creativity and and it's and it's just for yourself and and i and that really sort of helped me reframe and sort of shift my idea of what yeah. music is to me and like i'd be really happy if in 40 years i was making music for myself and being really happy like you know having like a shed of modular maybe because you know I'll have a pension by then but just tinkering away and doing it for me and nobody else so I think that's that's something that I strive for and sort of creating a life a lifestyle that you know that can afford that whether it's Mm. time or having a shed um, or whatever yeah and, and I think that's that is the most important thing to hold on to if you can because like you say it, it is about a relationship with yourself and and mm-hmm. being able to hold on to that as much as sometimes that will get let's say corrupted or you know affected by that whole kind of hustle mentality or this sense of I think social media for example nowadays really plays into it as well that anything every all the stuff you see of other people's creative outlet and comparison etc cetera, etc cetera, that it's really quite a skill to stay connected with just that joy of creating, but just how important that is. Because I, well, the way I see it as well is that you can never predict what's going to happen to you. You know, you'll never predict whether for some reason it's hard to um, compete creatively at a certain level because of your health or because of going through a bereavement, whatever it is. And all you will be left with is that relationship with your creativity for its own sake. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's a very important thing to stay true to. And I think, yeah, and and, and sort of thinking about that, like, you know, all, all of the bumps in the road, like as long as you can sustain that at some point, you know, there, there may be a time where you're ready to have an outlet or you're mm-hmm. ready to, like, you know, have, I hate to say, like a product, but, like, you have something um, and it's not the fact that, you know, I, and I stopped sort of striving for, you know, you know, having this sort of public musical career. And it is something that has just happened. It's just happened mm-hmm. from like, like now, like, you know, we'll talk about sort of like the impending release in, in, in a bit, but like actually having a release wasn't because it's like, I need to be an artist, like back in the field again. Yeah. It's just like, well, I, you know, I've been, I mean, plodding along sort of like negates it a little bit, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) vigorously plodding along and and like, and then, and then something's born out of that because you're doing something Mm. that's, um, that you believe in or that somehow 
that it's what's fun or if it's cathartic or you know you you've met a person that you've got this energy that you then that, that culminates into something musical in it yes and so it's just like doing it for you and it's like with with any projects or if you've got a theme for a project or you know a topic or, or motivation you know if it is if you believe in it then something authentic and interesting is going to come out of it hopefully but yeah so I I've definitely found just like having fun and and music being sort of sustainable or being able mm. to sustain music over the years actually that's been like the long game and yeah hopefully will continue to be yeah yeah no I, I think that's really well put and something that I kind of keep coming back to is this idea of like whatever it is you're doing is the motivation coming from a place of fear or is it coming from a place of joy and it is as simple as that yeah you know that it's that is all you have to ask yourself and your gut will tell you you know your gut will tell you you're scared that you're you've lost relevancy for other people you know whatever it is and you can see um, that can't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah definitely well maybe we could just backtrack a bit and um I'd love to find out how you did start getting into music technology and, you know, whether you actually, you know, enrolled in a course or whether it was through friends or whether it was just through Googling things. Mm. Although I don't know how old you are, Melissa, but if you're anything like me, there wasn't a Google to Google when I was a teenager anyway. Yes. I I mean, the internet, the internet came around when I was in sixth form and I just spent it like getting catfished, I think, most of the time. I was probably using the internet to find in Radiohead chords to play on, mm-hmm. yeah, to play on my mm-hmm. guitar. Um, and so that was, I started, so I was around, I dropped out of, I, start, I studied drama and visual arts. And I dropped out in my second year and moved to Manchester. And then just started, um, was just, I was always playing music, you know, I, I think around about that time I bought a little Tascam four track and Mm. I started making um, songs and, you know, some harmonies that weren't quite harmonious, but I was creating like vibes and Mm. really enjoying just sort of constructing soundscapes and songs. And, and then I upscaled to like one of the, it was like a 16 track, like Porter studio still, but like a Yamaha. It's very good. And and then started putting stuff on MySpace. And that was like my my way of like getting into just kind of maybe showing what I did. And, and it, it allowed, I guess, other people to hear what I was doing. I was a very shy singer, like a bedroom singer songwriter. But I think through like MySpace and these quite um, lo-fi recordings, it at least helped me like network. I had a, a, a product, I keep saying products today, but I had something, mm-hmm. I had I, yeah. something I could give. And so, and so then from that, I was like playing, I was playing music, like singer, songwriter stuff around Manchester, worked with some really incredible musicians actually that, that bolstered me a bit. And, you know, I l- really did like stand on the sh- so- shoulders of like some giants and I I wanted to be a songwriter that's you know I was like because I was working with these great singers that they just they they had skill and talent and I was I thought I was you know just piggybacking so my idea was to like write songs for these people and I was really trying to hone that craft and you know I was probably not trying that hard and then, and then I was, you know, so I, I, I then started to try and put songs together. You know, my guitar playing was was all right. It wasn't anything that would would capture you. So I was just always trying to find ways that could sort of add to my sort of skill set and my sound a bit. So I, um, I started getting into Reason, making bits and bobs in Reason, not really understanding it, but. But that's that's the fun bit, right? Where you're just going yeah. like, wow, all of these weird modules and VSTs. And so I was kind of doing that for a few years, just sort of like fumbling around. You know, it was Manchester, so there was some partying going on as well. So that and like gigs and and this sort of like lovely sort of hotbed of like talent. It was it was it's a fun time, but I I was probably a little bit directionless, and I also 
really, I was aware that I missed a lot of like music theory and there, there was bits that, because um, I, I didn't study, I hadn't studied music at school, never had an instrumental lesson. So I was just kind of, you know, I was like riding something that was getting a bit thin. So then I was like, let me go to university and let's do this again. So I, I enrolled on the popular music and recording bachelors at Salford Uni. And sort of the recording was because I'd, I'd been playing around with Reason and I've, you know, I'd been, you know, recording on these sort of like tiny little recording environments, these tiny studios. So I just thought that would up, upskill me a little bit. So, yeah, that's that's when I started. That's a really long winded way of saying that's how I started, um, started at Salford. No, but I mean, that's that's what we want you know on the podcast it's so good to hear women's journeys into this because they're always so different and they're rarely a kind of straightforward yeah I I always did this and I you know from the age of this age decided I'd be a producer and it's rarely like that so it's really interesting hearing that that journey I always think it would be easy then you know you know I look at some some students that I have now that you know at 18 and I, t- I teach some students and well maybe they're like 19 and they've already got like studio assistant jobs and and I envy that like I envy like I said like, oh my god you're gonna know so much and I didn't know how a compressor worked until I was like 30 yeah. <laughs> and you know now and like you, yeah. you know you you outgear me now and um so yeah there's something I do envy about having that sort of very direct like path but also the only way I could do it is this sort of messy, sort of fumbling my way around until something kind of maybe niche or or me comes out of it. And also, I think we have to recognise that in order for younger musicians to be able to have that clarity, especially when it comes to people who represent minorities in that area, we had to do all the fumbling because... Mm there weren't people teaching us like you or me or, you know, and, and that is, that's the reality is that in, in some ways they're able to do that now because of many, many people who have gone before and had to fumble around or didn't have the internet or, you know, whatever it is. But I do know what you mean, because I also, I also think like if Isabel had been going off to do music now for a level, God, I'd have so much stuff I just never had, you know. And like I did a music degree and I did um I I did a module on like recording. We did not, another module on Sonic Art. So I learned that was the first time I learned how to use a DAW and it was Pro Tools. And I remember I remember um at the time I was listening to Lee Scratch Perry a lot. Nice. And I loaded in one of those tracks into Pro Tools and literally just put reverb on it but like process just a tiny snippet of the track. And so listen through to it, dry, going into wet reverb, going out into dry. <laughs> and it was just this incredible, I mean, it's so, so crude now. Yeah. I mean, it's like the most horrendous mastering you can ever imagine, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it just sounded amazing to me. I was like, oh my god I can do this yeah and suddenly all of this world opened up to me but like I imagine having that experience at 11 12 13 and and then also Mm. just being able to get stuff like that for free because Pro Tools cost hundreds of pounds you know and it still does but it it cost even more what it what that actually meant in terms of money in my bank Mm -hmm. it was like spending thousands of pounds you know so the idea now that you can download GarageBand or something else for free and that you could have the internet to find out about other thing, free things you could get or other, you know, cheaper things you could get was just, um, it is mind-blowing. And you do sometimes think, oh, you know, if I'd have had that, where would I be now? Yeah. But then, uh, <laughs> then that, that hunger for that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, reading about music in a magazine and not quite like not quite having the means like the immediate means to yeah. listen to that music so it creates yeah. this, this hunger and this motivation that that then as soon as you get your hands on that cd or as soon as you get your mm. your hands on i mean i don't know what probably yeah like the either the the four track or the first time i got reason 
and I got mm-hmm. I ended up getting reason I think because of a dysle- or logic because of a dyslexia test that like I was like yeah and I also need logic for my um for my and I was like wow I've got this thing but it was that's that's really good I, I had that same dyslexia test and I did get a free laptop in my degree but I didn't know that I could ask for logic it, it, yeah damn <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, yeah. Um, you live and you learn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, it's, it's funny and you know, I don't want to sound like a fogey, but they, you know, kids today, they have like, just, there are too many options and, and just even, you know, producers yeah. today and people starting out. So mm-hmm. I think there needs to be, they need to be starved of something for a bit before you then, you know, have access to like this world of yeah. endless possibility. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it it actually in a funny way is something that I see um, now kind of stops a lot of women getting started because there's still, you know, there's still amongst a lot of the women that I teach um, that insecurity that you don't really know what you're doing. But then you have all these options of different software and then you're like, well, I don't know which one to pick because mm. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, from the sounds of it, you and definitely me, it was like, well, here's a DAW. You have some time, like half an hour to fiddle around on it. Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So there weren't choices. You just had to kind of do it. And like you, I I just uh, felt my way through for years, years and years. And I've never really as, ever been sat down and kind of taught how to use it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because then by the time I was like going off to do an MA much later on and then a PhD, it's just presumed that you then already know how to use a DAW. And I did, but I knew because it was like teaching yourself to drive without getting lessons, yeah, you know? Yeah. And you might so. do something that's a little bit like funky, um, mm. but actually what I think what you realize and after, after like so many, and it, cause where I kind of got my confidence with knowing nothing or like not knowing the, in the right way is just seeing artist sessions, you know, where I've been there, to support artists and I've seen what they do and like they're do, they're like it's unconventional it's unorthodox they're just feeling their way around but what's really important is that they've got something to say and that's what is that's what they treasure you know that's that's the important thing and that's the only thing that we care about and you know and this it's the really it's the difficult thing with production because it it bleeds into engineering and these, you know, but we're talking about producing music and making music and making something that's um, interesting and rich. And it's not necessarily like about like any sort of dogma. Um, and I think that that can be really suffocating when you first start and really overwhelming just to hear all of this technical talk and know that these there are right and wrong ways. But yeah, I think there's not enough discussion around just like but is it musical is it interesting yeah yeah I I so agree with that and I think you know from any teaching I've done of undergrad what seems to happen is that there'll be a lot of people who come into that room already making like producing music but it's so rigid you know it's so formulaic yeah. Um, because there isn't enough conversation going on about, yeah, but how do you compose a form that is surprising to the listener? Mm-hmm. Or how do you use textures that truly balance each other and contradict each other? And, you know. You know, if you're making dance music, there's, there is formula to that. And, and it's important because dance music becomes like part of a whole, a, a larger whole of like maybe a DJ mix or a DJ performance. But like, so what's really interesting is actually we, there are these limitations, but like how much can you like bend and break? How much can you like push those boundaries so that they stay, you, you still have like a cohesive whole, but you're doing something interesting. And, and, and I think that's not really like spoken about enough. Like if you watch any YouTube video, how to make dance music, or, and you see some maybe of the less interesting artists, they'll have a template. And they'll be like, yeah, I do this, I do this, bam, 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 I can make a track in three hours. And that's when it gets uninteresting and that gets a bit businessy when you're just, mm. when you're, it's just like you're colouring in without like being spicy with your choices. 
yeah so even when something's very formulaic or seemingly seemingly for formulaic you can still have these conversations of creativity and and i and i'm saying that because it's it is something that used to perplex me i'd say just like okay so how can you keep this interesting um am mm. i just being am i you know am i being un, uninteresting by sticking to this like 16 bar every 16 mm. bars it changes but it's like you can actually do so much more yeah within definitely lines or constraints yeah yeah definitely because you know obviously that can mean so many things where like even if it changes every 16 bars, it doesn't mean that you're just building on the same idea, you know, that you've, you're just basically looping things and adding a new loop each time. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's all those kind of tropes that it's, it's important to also consider, right? How do I actually, it, it's partly about finding your own identity as an artist, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And yeah. not just saying, right, I know how to produce a track. Yeah. You know, because yes, like like you say, anyone can learn by rote how to produce a track. Mm -hmm. But it's how do I actually do that with some artistry? Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and I think bec because of, I guess, with, with the aspiration to be a DJ or a superstar producer, mm -hmm. you get so many, you get so many people, you know, on the internet that, you know, are in it for that. So you get it's hard to find artistry. It's hard to find conversation on, on conversations on process. It's all about sort of, and it's very like bro, right? So it's very like, you know, ticking the boxes, bit of chest puffing and some model numbers of different compressors. And it's like, yeah. it's like, like you, you're like through the weeds, searching through the weeds, trying to find the music. And, um, and yeah. I think, and, and for a, a producer and especially like a, when I was a younger producer, that would be, it'd just be, what well, it'd be alienating, but it'd also be something that I could never attain. Like I could, I could never, mm. I don't have the skills to, to retain all of that information, but I do have the skills to say something musically. And I just, I'd forgot that for, for years because I was yeah. competing in a world that really just wasn't for me or anyone that likes music. Yeah, so it'd be great to dig in a little bit to that then, Mel, of like how that affected your creativity, how and also how you felt showing up, calling yourself a producer, et cetera, et cetera. And, and actually, just to give some context, one of the previous episodes that's gone out this season is all about when can you call yourself a producer? Mm. But that that word is so loaded with so many different interpretations and skills and levels of experience and all that stuff. So when you were first kind of sh like showing up as a producer in those circles, did you find that you kind of adopted that more like tried to memorize a lot of tech and gear and terms? And did that feel inauthentic or did it just... Mm. feel stressful was it helpful yeah. even it felt yeah I would say it felt stressful it was yeah definitely that's when when the imposter uh kicked in but yeah so, so what I did is when when I started to to learn and it was really Ableton when I started to get serious and you know I, I remember I remember the decision to get really good at producing so I you know I was like lurking in forums and and like reading as much as I could to get like really good mixes and and I actually it was I was so stressed because I was you know I had been an artist for, for 10 years and then I then I moved to London decided to well you know started working as a teacher in a school so you know I had like a like a proper professional career for the first time so I was so like my my performing took a little bit of a back seat so I was like well you know I'll produce and this this is I can be sort of quite self uh contained here and and so I just like spent a long time trying to get really good and actually because I I was looking in the wrong places I just stopped being creative I stopped making I stopped actually making interesting music because it became that thing that I was just sort of laughing at or scoffing at before and because it even wasn't my passion you know you put it really like bluntly and correctly like it was just this stress of like not being good enough I just like 
hanker down even more. So I'd go further into the manual and it comes out, I, you know, I did get these skills, but then at the end of it, I, you know, I had a little bit of like, what, what was that all for? Because now where I am, I'm making music and I'm trying to get back that like naive play. And that's what I really value as a, as, as a musician or as a producer. Yes, I do have these skills, but I don't place that much importance on them. You know, I could have, I could have, I mean, again, it's this sort of messy fumbling way of getting to a point and that's the only way it could have been. But I just, I, I wish I'd have like relieved myself of, of that mm. worry um, that yeah. I had and that trying to contend with, you know, with just like an ideology that I didn't align with really. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested in these conversations about how, I, well, I think for a long time with music technology, there's been this idea that anyone who doesn't represent that majority of basically white heterosexual men, mm. that anyone who's outside of that demographic has to become more like a white heterosexual man to do well in that field. Yeah. So you have to start, you know, getting really intensely obsessed with make and model numbers and you know, amassing all of the right production skills and knowing all the right terminology and having a kind of encyclopedia basically in your head of all of this, this, these material things, these kind of, this catalogue of stuff that proves that you are the same basically inside as a white heterosexual man. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you can't, because in, inevitably you either can't or it's very difficult. It takes a lot of energy to to sustain that. Like you just, you pale in comparison. So it just, it has this yeah. awful knock on effect where as if you just would have turned up, like knowing who you were and presenting that with confidence and, you know, authenticity, then that is, that's enough, right? But it's also, you know, it, it, until I think until that culture changes, it's also never going to feel or you're also going to run the risk of not being accepted, not being taken seriously. You know, even if you do show up and you're like, that's just not me and I'm okay with that, Mm -hmm. you can still then be on the receiving end of, but then I'm not going to take you seriously as a producer. Yeah. You know, and I think so. I think at the moment that that's why I think there's still such an important need for spaces that are kind of the opposite of that in a in a hope to maybe get to a place where we don't need to say separate women out in order to give them a space where they can genuinely learn without fear of judgment for example Mm -hmm. that you can get to a place where there's just a culture that is about compassion kindness curiosity thoughtfulness creativity respect you know all of that stuff and not expecting everyone to be the same and you know and to kind of fall in line but I'd love to hear from you in terms of your identity and it doesn't have to just be gender but how do you feel your identity kind of shaped those experiences of being in music tech spaces? I so I I guess I juggle a few identities here so you know being you know I'm mixed race or black uh, depending on the situation you know sometimes it's more important for me to be a black woman um, and sometimes it is, you know, I, you know, I've always identified as mixed race, but, um, and also as a lesbian or gay, I think these, I think as like sexuality-wise, the spaces, I think it's almost like I felt for a long time that my my brain was like a little bit more logical. That's why. This is why I have this sexual identity, and this is why I'm also quite techy. I think it's maybe just an expectation of of women in certain sort of spaces and guises. So I think that that's something that I've I've you know thought about over the years, and obviously notice that representation, the representation of gay women in tech spaces, and having a you know some solidarity and have yeah seeing seeing representations of myself. Other identities, not so much. So, um, and I think that's, you know, that comes with also the music I make and, you know, the fact that I, you know, liked indie music. So I didn't see, you know, as, as a 
as a kid, I guess, as a teenager in their more electronic music, I didn't see sort of representations of me um, within those circles. So then that was something that, you know, I think made me a little bit more self, self-contained, self-sufficient. So, yeah, I, you know, how have they like helped me? I don't know if they've, I think, I think I, I feel more comfortable in some situations because of, of how I identify and others not. I I feel, I feel like there are, you know, opportunities now because of this like vast under representation that I welcome. And then also I struggle with because there's the obvious um, I, you know, mentioned imposter before, but just that that the worry of tokenism and the fact that um, it's great. I'm in this space and I'm I'm representing and I can be there for, you know, you know all the the little me's that came before and iterations of little me, but then also knowing that this is like an affirmative action and being okay with that, being okay that you know you know you are enough and mm-hmm. you know you're you know you know that I can deserve to, I deserve to be here but also knowing that we are not there yet and it's just something it's just one of those like things that I've got to struggle with um, yeah but yeah yeah I think I, I think that's a very important conversation to have is like how does it feel to be in a position where you're there not only because of everything you've achieved and everything you are, but also because they're just for decades and decades has not, have not been anyone like you mm. and in those positions and people are potentially making a more concerted effort to make sure that that changes. But like you say, that then you're the person, you're the individual that has to then be in that space mm-hmm. yeah. and inhabit that role. Yeah. So I'd love to maybe explore that a little bit in terms of you as an artist, but also in terms of you as an educator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- yeah, I th- it's, I think it's a really important point. So like as an educator or yeah, as a professional, say you, it's, it's all of these, you know, the, the, these hats, right? So you've got to be, yeah, you've got, you've got to deliver and you've got to, be that inspiring educator or, or or leader but then you've also got to keep your own you know your your own self at bay and and I think you know sometimes in a perfect storm everything's fine and then other times like one thing could go like you know it could just be a like a bad comment from one person that actually you know in my inner world is shattering these house of cards that like you know and so it's just I think it's really important to just sort of keep checking in with the people around you having conversations like this and and actually making sure if you're in an institution and you are there from this amazing proactive initiative that there are there's this um sound like like a patient but like this aftercare and there's this like these conversations continue to be had and and you know sort of like the allies you know continue past that initial Mm. action I couldn't agree more I think you know in, in lots and lots of ways I represent a very very you know privileged you know the kind of norm in modern Britain especially what's kind of visually represented I'm cis I'm straight I'm white I'm middle class I have a southeast English accent all that stuff but in music technology and especially teaching music technology I feel like a complete alien mm-hmm. you know and I, I go into those spaces and feel an immense jumble and an amount of pressure similar to what you've just described of like and like a house of cards that you kind of carefully try and build up of some kind of sense of self-worth, mm. self-confidence, assertiveness. And then one thing can be said and it comes tumbling down, you know, in that moment and even keeps you up at night 
yeah. till three in the morning playing it back in your head mm-hmm. thinking god why didn't I call them out on that you know mm-hmm. just again and again I have basically it's like a little kind of smorgasbord of conversations from the last oh, 20 lovely. years of my life <laughs> yeah. but, you know if I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes they'll just pop up now and I'll, and I'll re- repeat it and I'll be like why did I just laugh at that that was a yeah. horrendous joke that they made or yeah. why did I get so upset when somebody questioned whether I produced that thing or you know or why did I treat that person like that because I was so insecure that I wouldn't be taken seriously and I wish I hadn't acted like that you know mm-hmm. there's all these different experiences that kind of play in your head but I really agree with you that I think it's very important that we think if we are putting people in those situations as the the token kind of example um of here's a woman or here's a black woman yeah. or here's a gay woman or you know here's a non-binary disabled person mm-hmm. that we we do think right that that's going to be a very very particular experience probably quite a difficult one sometimes and we do need to at least have a a, a dialogue going about what that experience is like for them yeah yeah, absolutely. And and sort of not, you know, because also it, it's it's obviously really important, but then that person that comes in isn't necessarily going to trailblaze your whole EDI policy. Like it's it's not and I think it's it's important not to make that person feel alone. And and this is not I'm not saying this from my experience in my job now. It's it's just some of my my views on 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 this because you know I think it's a lot of pressure for somebody coming in and sort of maybe having to champion all of these causes or this cause and so it's I think it's really important for it not to be all all of the pressure placed on that one person and yes there was this amazing initiative to get people on board and you can see this all across now you know people of color in the tech world, hopefully, are a lot busier now than they were a few years ago. But it needs to just be like institution wide, where you know people are as constantly conscious of 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 these issues yeah. as the the people that have like been challenged with them like their, yeah. their entire life. And so there needs to be constant conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes, the space of of if minorities want to want to lead that but not the pressure of having to lead that yeah yeah and I think you know I absolutely take what you're saying you know this isn't necessarily about one particular institution you've been part of that is is kind of feeding the these ideas it's not one experience <laughs> it's, it's everything and I but I think that's the thing is that we have to be really honest with ourselves that none of us are getting this right you know none of us are doing this well enough yet Mm. and I think still we're at that phase where we're like right I'm just gonna have more people more people of color you know Mm. different gender identities etc just gonna have them here in the room and that is not enough it's not anywhere near enough and actually you can be creating more different problems for those people Mm -hmm. you know and just being the door opening and stepping inside and still feeling different, that th- those differences not being celebrated or appreciated, but just being yeah. ignored, yeah. really, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I hope, you know, you know, I hope there are, you know, the, the, there's another case of like sort of standing on the shoulders of people fumbling around, if that's a song lyric. Um, but like... <laughs> Yeah, it just it'd be nice to see, you know, this it, nice it'd be nice to see some acceleration. And there's a lot of, you know, there's just so many great initiatives, so many great grass, grassroots initiatives and you know, I I just you know, I I hope we're at a time when they're starting to link together and there aren't all these sort of like siloed pools of activity. And and I think definitely from I think the grassroots initiatives have to come into the, some of the larger institutions. And actually, the the larger institutions sort just sort of 
take a leaf from their book and take some of their some of their work rather than constantly reinventing the wheel in a committee that's not that aware of 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 some things at the frontier absolutely yeah and i think i think that is a really good point that there is some really good work going on but a lot of the time it is more in the kind of um nooks and crannies yeah rather than right there at the top of the ivory tower yeah yeah i mean i don't think that i i don't think i maybe anything about me is that that tokenistic when it comes to music maybe like maybe the way i look might make people think that i was like played a certain role in music but like I've always kind of had that where I've just tried to sort of shun off any preconceptions but but yeah no I think my identity really like plays a part really just with the way I with the way I make and 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 what I choose to write about and how I want to express myself within my music I'm not really to my knowledge i've not really sort of faced anything that i felt i felt that was at all negative or, or like a challenge but yeah i think it i think it's yeah i think it's quite a positive sort of force especially in my latest you know my latest musical outing which you know it's it's where i'm actually not reconnecting because i've always been connected but like artistically connecting for the first time with some of my heritage and being able to say mm-hmm. that in this like you know you know I'm half Nigerian so using you know West African rhythms but like also in this like mathy irregular like messed up way and and talking about certain political things but also in this sort of like yearning like kind of heartfelt way that my other music's, you know, been more more aligned to. So it's it's been, and, and maybe that's just because of where I'm at now, you know, in my life and and my on my artistic journey that I'm able to actually reach into these things with a bit of confidence that I can that I can do them justice that they don't sound gimmicky. I I, I always yeah. I always stayed away from writing anything political because just they're just not my favorite songs like. And mm-hmm. and because it, there's something a little bit too literal about them and a bit cringy for me sometimes. So it's just like, well, how can I say these things? But it's it's probably because I've processed them and they've become something emotional rather than like it's not like a theoretical exercise. Yeah, it's like it's 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 got some of my own kind of like I guess subjectivity there rather than it just be this sort of exercise in you know regurgitating some information or so so anyway yeah yeah so I've I've been really sort of you know digging into to some of my Nigerianness through this latest project and it's been it's been nice to be able to do that how has that felt for you then to be really kind of digging into that has it given you a new sense of that identity has it just strengthened it has it surprised you yeah i think it's it's given me and and make this is something that over the like the past i don't know i guess 6 6 or 7 years i've been my own i i've been much more comfortable with who i am and that part of my my identity because i can you know, be me and not really fit into something that I used to think that I, I had to. It's definitely helped strengthen that because I think, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, for me, mu- music's always been like catharsis. And so it's it's always been a way that I process things that are going on in my life. So I think just this natural feeling confident within myself and, and all of these sort of identities that I juggle, um, and especially as a gay woman, you know, with my Nigerian side of the family, and you know, that's that's always been something that I've struggled with. And I think my sort of natural comfort, then, yeah, as I think has been reflected in the fact that I can finally write about, you know, these matters. Mm. And what do you think changed for you that meant you felt this was the time you could do that? So I think it was it was 
probably having um, a relationship with my dad, like, you know, as sort of reconnecting and, 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 and yeah, that sort of that, you know, his family welcoming my partner in and, and just like positive experiences and being able to talk about certain aspects that I'd always, I just, I'd buried, I guess, for, for 35 years. I wasn't always thinking about that for that time, but yeah. So I think just naturally feeling, feeling a sense of belonging then gave me the freedom to do what I want with it and like do it in my own fucked up way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about how that all came together into the release that you have now, which I think by the time this goes out, will will be in the world. Exciting. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. So what was the process of like digging into that heritage and, mm. but then also feeding that into something musical. And I know this is also collaborating that you made this project with somebody else as well. So, yeah. so yeah, I think, so I'd always, and this was like very, it was a very gradual thing. I'd always sort of like lent into using certain like maybe like rhythmic patterns from like Nigerian music or like little samples and that that's always been like littered through you know like one of the tracks from my sort of dance project has like you know a Nina Simone sample at the the you know at its core and so I've always there's always been an element of of black culture that I've wanted in my music and so it's been littered peppered when Amate was born. I think I was generally like w- working with sort of like Afrobeat rhythms, and and it's where I started to write songs again. So I think that the the, the songs have been integral to like you know the evolution really, because obviously lyrics come come into play. Um. So I was yeah I was probably just putting words to all of these you know points that I'd been kind of sort of as I said like peppering through and I think so I I started working with a friend of mine that's also an Ableton trainer I'm an Ableton certified trainer as well and we met because of that but we also met because we didn't want to just be like trainers or just be educators and and so we we just met from this like love of like the creative process and just really giving each other the space to do what we wanted and like realizing that we could, we pretty much liked all the little weirdities each other was doing. And I gave him the space to like constantly want to make everything out of time. He's just got a total like aversion to, to like common time. And then he (laughs) gave me the space to write about whatever I wanted. And, and so we, we had this, really trusting relationship where this thing was allowed to be born and and also actually collaborating something that has often scared me but actually it's it's probably been the one of my favorite projects because it's it's given birth to like all of these lovely little worlds and and we you know we've created in a motte we've created this like weird little dissonant like emotional world that's that you know is really special to me and it really I don't know it's kind of like I I feel like it's my blueprint you know it's my I I, I'm all over it even though one half of it is Cristiano yeah so it's something really special and I think it comes at at a time in my life you know as I said it's like it's 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 been the end of like this long process of well it's not the end it's just like a point I guess it's a milestone and this sort of like vigorous plodding along over the past, mm. I, I, I guess, 10 years of producing. Mm-hmm. So what are the musical textures in this recording then? What have you been working with as building blocks? One of the textures that I've started to use is my voice, which uh, wasn't used for a long time and actually really just like laying loads and loads of of harmonies or just you know like doubles triples quadruples there's there's so many there's so many like layers I, I did a track with Matthew Herbert that was released like this 
last year, the end of last year. And he had like loads of, I think I did like 80 backing vocals for him. Wow. And, but I heard what that sounded like and he used them like really subtly, but it just, it added this, it was just this richness or implied richness. And, and so I really got into just doing that and, you know, Cristiano does, I think he hates me for it because he'll get a project and they'll just be like vocal 008 and like times <laughs> 100. Um, so really like actually having this massive, massive like fabric of texture and then carving into that with some effects. And um, so that's one of the textures. There's also, we'll also use like like lots of sort of synth textures, some noise, we use quite a lot of distortion. So that will be another kind of like really sort of like crunchy texture. We'll use some like noise. I've got this ether and it's from Soma Synths. And there's an artist that I did a session with. Uh, I supported a session. His name's Kamaru. He's a field, field recording artist. So this thing captures electromagnetic waves. So you can kind of just point it at your laptop and it will make all this buzzing. It's like an anti-radio. So then you can, if you walk around, you can get bits of radio. And and so like stuff like this, just like weird little sort of electronic mm. sounds just layered. So it's quite, it's really dense, re- really sort of textural. and But yeah, and that's obviously mixed with drum machines. I've got like contact mics that I might just make a noise with on the table and then run that through loads of, processors so just lots of like what does this do that makes a weird sound let's see how we can feed this in and and sort of shape it and sculpt it so it makes some kind of sense so mm. we're, we're definitely like maximalists when it comes to to how we produce uh, but mm-hmm. hopefully the result of that is sort of quite a lush soundscape yeah cool it sounds great so obviously like you said you're both accredited Ableton instructors mm. did you make all of this on Ableton we did we did but Cristiano's always like I'm gonna go to Bitwig because he's quite his contrary um <laughs> yeah we made it all through Ableton definitely we use generally not Ableton synths though like none of the VSTs the, the effects yes but so it's a combination of like some analog stuff um some digital some outboard some inboard Artoria feature quite a lot They've got some like really, yeah, like the CS80s on a few of them. And yeah, and just, yeah, just, just a bunch of stuff. It's like plug in heaven, but then there's, there's a little bit to, I mean, I don't know if you can even tell the difference. Yeah. But yeah, Ableton is still the secret weapon. Yeah. And is that your preferred door then? Yeah, I've, I've actually like, all of my other skills in, in all of a door, it's just kind of atrophied. Like, <laughs> I, like, like you know, I've, I've used them all. You, know, like, you put me yeah. in logic and I'm like, um, how do you... Um? It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm the same, because I used Pro Tools for years and years and years, and now I use Ableton mainly. Yeah. I just like how... I like how visually you can see everything much easier and it feels more intuitive. And now when I go onto Pro Tools, like, yeah, it takes me a while to remember where everything is. And yeah, it's funny. Yeah. But what is it that you like about using Ableton? Well, it was the first, you know, I, I mentioned before that I I got like serious when I started using Ableton because it, it was like really intuitive. It was the first thing that I felt like I could understand. Like I, I got the logic. I got how they set things out. And, and so I like the fact that like whatever they bring out, I... I can I can work out how to use it and how it fits in this ecosystem. And I just I also like that sort of the fact that it's like this modular machine, like that you can get most things to speak to each other and you can do quite complex, you know, operations but just by using quite simple devices. Whereas I know that logic I was doing some generative stuff with some of the students on on the master's course that I, I run and they were and I was I was like oh, well how can you do this in logic and then I opened up and it was like midi script and you had to like do a little bit of code and it's just like well, let's just use some max for live and so in answering to your question I like the best thing about Ableton is max for live and the fact mm-hmm. that you can expand 
Um, and I'm not, uh, I don't program anything in Max, but like the fact that you can yeah. just, anything that you want to do, anything that you can imagine, there's probably somebody that has made it, that made, yeah. has made it happen. Or you can sort of Frankenstein a few things together. So yeah, I think yeah. there's just like loads of possibility. Um, and yeah, like all of that stuff, all that probability stuff. It's great. Mm. Yeah. Can you tell us what's the name of the new release and where can people go and check it out? It's Amote, so it's O-M-O-T-E. And you can find us on Instagram. So it's three underscores and Amote, that's our handle. Um, cool. And we've just we've just actually started teasing some of the tracks from the EP. So a friend of mine from Manchester has done some like really lovely scratch animation. So he's... um. He's like uh, drawn into 16 mil film, like found footage and like projected that. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's really Brilliant. cool. So we've got some of his artwork, um, just teasing bits. So you can definitely find that now at the time of recording. Hopefully by the time of release, it will have something out, but you'll be able to find everything through that Instagram. Thank you so much, Mel, for coming on the podcast. It's been really, really interesting chatting with you and um, I can't wait to listen to the new release. It sounds really lush. And um, yeah, just thanks for sharing all of that with us. You're welcome. It was it was lovely to chat as well. Well, I loved hearing how Mel now feels ready to delve deep into her Nigerian heritage in this new release. It's interesting to consider that we as artists may feel able to explore different parts of ourselves in our work at different points in our life and that there will come a time when it just feels right to do so. If you want to listen to all the new music Mel's releasing with her collaborator under their Emote project, just go to meluyeparker.com, which is M-E-L-U-Y-E-P-A-R-K-E-R.com or find them on Instagram at at underscore underscore Emote. That's at underscore underscore E-M-O-T-E. The link is in the show notes. I was also really grateful to have the chance to discuss how Mel's identity as a black gay woman may have shaped her experience of the wider white heterodominant culture of music production. As Mel stated so well, it's not just about making an effort to increase representation in music and music education, but also to have open and honest dialogues about what that feels like and how we can support one another along the way. More chances for dialogue and tangible action being taken is so, so needed in this area. And speaking of which, boy, do I have a great final episode of season three for you next week, Knob Twiddlers, because I'll be joined by the fantastic Vanessa Threadgold, who is founder of the female-focused recording studios Cactus City. Vanessa started Cactus City as a direct response to the experience of the female artists she was managing in music and how they were being treated in recording studios. She could see this was having a direct impact on their experience of and opportunities in music, and so decided to set up a recording studio that would actively work to make recording a fun and empowering experience for women. So to hear all about it, join me and Vanessa inside next week's episode. But till then, take care and I'll catch you here soon. Girls Twiddling Knobs is hosted and produced by me, Isabel Anderson, with production support from Jade Bailey. The show notes are compiled by Francesca O'Connor, and this is a female DIY musician production. So, how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it, and you know someone else who would love it too, be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.